0: Our text is Romans 8. I'll read from verses 28 through 39. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, These he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Father God, if the words, if the words can be so majestic, so awesome, how much greater is the reality? Yesterday, Pastor Kaiser cited the verse where we cannot imagine what heaven will be like. And Lord, we thank you that this awaits us, that we have you waiting for us to welcome us into this glory? We pray, Father, please prepare us for this, prepare our hearts for this. And yet we don't want to uh, live our lives uh, uselessly on earth, just waiting for this day when we arrive in heaven. But Lord, we want to be of use in your kingdom uh, for your purpose. You have created us to work. We have cre- you have created us to serve you. And so we pray, Father, please um, make us fruitful, make us useful to you in your kingdom. We give you thanks for all of your many blessings and the expectations that we wait for uh, expectantly. In Christ's name, amen. This is the last, it's the fifth of the series of five in the five points of Calvinism. And so I'll recap quickly. The first message was enslaved by Satan, fallen man from conception is by nature enslaved to do Satan's will. Man does this willingly, unwittingly, but he's apathetic towards God, he has no idea the great gulf that exists between him and God. The second message was chosen by Father. Father God, before the foundation of the world, elected some to be rescued from Satan's power, to be in Christ. God's choice was not dependent on our fickle wills or our mercurial works. It was predicated on his sovereign will. The third message was saved by Son. Jesus came to be the propitiation for the sins of the elect. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, not all. For his sheep not the wolves for his friends not his enemies specifically for all those that the father had given to him jesus did not die for those for whom he refused to pray in the high priestly prayer the fourth message last week was regenerated by spirit one must be reborn to see the depths of their sin and the glory of god Conformity to outward ceremony in many forms, works, church attendance, circumcision, baptism, these avail nothing in the spiritual realm. Peter stated that the Spirit falls upon as many as the Lord our God will call. And that rebirth falls upon those whom the Lord calls. Today's message is preserved by God. Last week, we used one verse, Philippians 1-6, And it really does cover our whole sermon today. He who has begun a good work in you, we covered that last week, will complete it. That's what we cover this week. Another title for this message, instead of preserved by God, could be once saved, always saved. There are three truths that I want to share from these last three messages where we saw God the Father in action we saw God the Son in action we see now the Holy Spirit in action and continuing through what's going on now they are all employed in preserving us to see what it is that we just read about now Arminians some rightfully fear loss of salvation because they feel they initiated their salvation If it weren't for their will, their choice of God, they would be lost. So, can that choice be sustained their whole lives? This is what they fret over. And this is what they fear for concerning the future. Today, I'll share with you a lot of Scripture that puts the lie to their fears. We'll also address three texts that do appear on the surface of them with a naive reading of them to hint at the fact that people can lose their salvation. I'm going to structure the sermon in five questions followed up by the closing. And the first question is, what is salvation? What is salvation? There's an online site called dictionary.com, and they actually have a very, very good definition of salvation from our perspective, from the theological perspective. As a noun, salvation is a noun, deliverance from the power and penalty of sin. That's what salvation is. Very, very simple and yet thorough. Deliverance from the power and penalty of sin. To be saved, this is the verb, to be delivered from the power and consequences of sin. So it's deliverance versus delivered, the state that you're in. Once you have been saved, you're saved. Our third message in this series was titled Saved by Son," and I chose that very carefully just as I chose last uh, time regenerated so you have this the Sun saving you have the spirit regenerating I forgot to share something last week and I want to share it now I think it's appropriate uh, salvation is different from conviction I remember long ago I was uh, just arriving at a conference and there were Uh, seats up front. I walked up front and I saw William's father, Tom Collin. And I said, Tom, are these seats saved? And he said, no, but they're under strong conviction. (laughs) And it took me a second to realize what he was telling me. And so he is though differentiating and helpful to us in differentiating between conviction and salvation. I shared with you when I was converted, how I was under conviction of my sins and miserable in my sins for a few weeks until God gave me this assurance of salvation and then the relief just flooded my soul last week we also introduced this concept called the order of salvation or the plan of salvation and I shared with you that Church of Christ those eight steps in their plan the Reformed perspective I gave you 11 steps and they ranged from God in eternity past ordaining some to salvation all the way to glorification the plan of salvation so you can see here what I've introduced are several different definitions of salvation I've given you the one deliverance from the power and penalty of sin but yet in the way we use the term salvation or being saved we differentiate between them yes ultimately salvation will not be complete until we are glorified Until, as I said earlier, we stop sinning suddenly and God pulls us into his presence. Titles for this whole series, as opposed to what I chose, Enslaved by Satan on, could have been this. Salvation Needed. That's when we're enslaved to Satan. Salvation Ordained. That's when we're chosen by God. Salvation Secured. That's when Christ died. Salvation Applied. That's when a person is regenerated and now you have the Holy Spirit within you and salvation assured. And that's what we're going to discuss today. That was the first question. What is salvation? The third uh, or the second question is when does salvation occur? And I've already hinted at that. It just depends on which definition you're using of salvation. Many speak in our culture, especially in a nominally Christian culture such as ours, where we have lots of people that are familiar with Christianity that probably aren't saved. They think of being saved as some future event. And this is reasonable. Like I said, there are 11 steps in this plan of salvation. Glorification to stop sinning suddenly is a necessary aspect to our ultimate completion of salvation. And we are deceived by our very own behaviors on this earth. I had mentioned Christians can be rude and offensive. Present company excluded, perhaps, except for me, maybe. Non Christians, however, can be very polite. They really can be. They can be helpful in so many ways, but they may not know the Lord. And so, God's Word is not informing, or at least not directly, it's God's Spirit not indwelling them that's driving their behavior. There are two bumper stickers that remind us of this all the time. One is, God isn't finished with me yet, and that's for anybody that they just cut off perhaps to read. The other is, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Peter warns us in 2 Peter to make our call and election sure, meaning That we ourselves can doubt our own salvation we can doubt the reality that we are God's children that we have been changed I want you to imagine something imagine that I hold in my hand a DVD that contains your entire life maybe with all the boring parts edited out like with the football games you know nowadays you can get a three and a half hour football game down in 11 or 12 minutes And you can buy a pass to do that. 99 bucks cost you. I haven't done it, but yet I can see why people would do it. It cuts out a lot of those boring commercials and all that time where everybody's just milling around. But imagine I had a DVD of your life. I fast forwarded it. I randomly pop in at various points in your life. This point, this point, this point. And you run it for a minute or two. What is the likelihood that we collectively would determine that whomever we're viewing up here, that they're a Christian or a non-Christian in that minute or two that we, we tap into their life. It's probably very unlikely. Even if we see them doing something good or bad, it would be hard to know. So see, we properly evaluate ourselves at times as lacking in sanctification. But is that lacking in salvation is the question. We must exercise faith on earth. We know from Hebrews 11.1, and I love this definition. Some Christians don't really uh, value it, but I do. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Long ago, 10 years ago, I preached a sermon called The End of Faith, and the premise was that one day our faith will be sight, and we will not need faith in that sense. And yet, John Shepard came up immediately afterwards and said, Rod, I have to tell you that the title of your sermon has traumatized my daughter, the end of faith. So, of course, I was concerned for for the first few seconds. But uh, I also saw, I've I've told a couple of you that I saw a T-shirt on Amazon a few weeks ago, and it said in orange block letters, uh, Pastor Warning. And then in the bottom it said, um, Anything you say may be used in a sermon. So and you know that's true for me. Now, some people think of salvation as occurring at the end of life. When does salvation occur? Yes, there is an aspect that it occurs at the end of life. Have any of you ever done this? I've done this. I've purchased tickets to something that were so expensive that I thought I was crazy, and the event wasn't for several months. What do you do? with these incredibly expensive pieces of paper you don't put them in your wallet necessarily you don't need them right away you won't need them for months maybe even longer so you find a special place and you put them in that special place and then later you start looking for that special place and it wasn't the first special place you thought of it wasn't the second special place you thought of and now you're becoming frustrated you can't find those special tickets I think that's Sometimes how people think of salvation. They're like these incredibly valuable tickets that you have to enter heaven one day that you ought not misplace, but they really have no present value. They don't make a difference in your life. This isn't salvation. Those people that think they have those tickets don't have what they think they have. The clearest evidence of being saved is not, like, for instance, I shared with some people in the past my testimony, that's not the clearest evidence that I'm saved. The clearest evidence that I'm saved is that there is fruit that I'm walking with God, that I know God, that I love God, that I hate evil, that I hate sin. And it takes you time to learn that about people, it's not always obvious because a lot of people, like I said, are polite. And there are some Christians that behave so badly that you think, how can they possibly be a Christian? Yet God knows. So again, when does salvation occur? In the sense that I'm presenting it, I would say to you, and in the sense that we all, I think, collectively interpret it, is salvation occurs at the time of regeneration. That's when we perceive it, That's when we are changed. That's when we begin to live differently. And that's when we begin to assess ourselves, compare ourselves to our behavior and our conduct, who we were versus who we are. And Paul cites this in several places in his letters. The father and the son's work, both for us, occurred long in the past. The choosing was in eternity past, and Christ's sacrifice, where he saved us, was 2,000 years ago. So we perceive salvation as the moment when we are changed. For many of us, we don't know. We ask people, when did you become a Christian? And many people will say, at 22, at 28. Others will say, I've been a Christian all my life. And so we accept that. Sometimes we doubt them because we don't see fruit in their life, and here they are, an adult, but we do tend to speak that way. So even though we were saved by the Son at the cross, we were also saved by the Holy Spirit at the time of regeneration. So now we come to the third question, and this one actually is going to be quite involved. What changes result from regeneration, or salvation as I'm terming it? The Spirit's work occurs during our lives, and this regeneration occurs within us. If salvation could be lost as the Arminians posed in the Remonstrance back in 1610, then that would have to be undone. What was partially done to initiate salvation would have to be undone. There are five changes that I want to walk through Scripture talking about. First, at the time of regeneration, salvation, believers are reborn. They are regenerated. By the holy spirit they become new creatures two believers die to sin and become alive to god so there is a death and a rebirth three the holy spirit takes up residence in believers believers become temples of the holy spirit of god and fourth the holy spirit's presence in us is referred to repeatedly in scripture as a seal as a guarantee of God's love of us. Five, believers reside spiritually with Christ in heaven. I can't believe how many of these concepts have been already shared in this worship service, just through our singing, through the prayers, through the readings. It's just a beautiful thing. So, believers reside spiritually with Christ in heaven, and we are called citizens of heaven even now. At the moment of regeneration, we are made citizens of heaven. I want, I'm going to read a lot of scripture right now, and I want you to pay attention to the tense of the verbs. Am I speaking with each of these of something that occurred in the past, that has uh, just occurred in the present, or is occurring in the present, or is to occur in the future? So first, concerning the first change, believers have been born again, born of God, made new creatures. Colossians 2.13, and you, being dead, in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Titus 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. God's seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians 6 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So, those are six verses that speak of the fact that believers at the moment of regeneration have been made new, born again, new creatures. The second change is that believers have died to sin. Romans. 6, verses 2 and 3. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Romans 7, verses 5 and 6. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 1 Peter 2.24, Who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Romans 6, verse 10 and 11, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Almost got that fly. That ended the second change. The third change is Holy Spirit dwells in believers. The first first Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know? that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 2 Timothy 1, 14, That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. 1 John three twenty four. now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And Jude 19, this is a negative correlation. Listen to this one. Jude 19, these are sensual pers- persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Jude is referring to people in the church who are not regenerate, who are sowing dissension. The fourth change is also about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, but being a guarantee, a down payment, a seal, first fruits, all of these things. Romans 8.23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. 2 Corinthians 122 who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 55 Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians 113 and 14 You were sealed with the holy spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That takes us through four of the changes, and this is the fifth. Believers were made citizens of heaven at the moment of their regeneration. Ephesians 2, 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul is speaking to people, and yet they are living in heaven. Ephesians 2.19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Philippians 3.20, this was read earlier. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.12, you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I've buried you buried you in scriptures that proclaim regeneration is something that fundamentally changed you, and it ought to be the assurance that you have that you are God's. It ought to be. If it's not, then perhaps you do have a valid concern. Always saved, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Once saved. That's the key to understanding the doubts that people face. They must be assured of their salvation, and yet they're looking in the wrong place for that assurance typically. So now, let me give you a brief summary of what would have to be undone were it possible to lose salvation. First, the rebirth would have to be undone. We have been made a new creature. We have had our hearts of stone ripped out of us and hearts of flesh put in all of that would have to be undone the old creature would have to be restored the new creature put to death the second change application of Christ's penal substitutionary atoning death on behalf of us at the cross would have to be undone and this is what some people think is possible the third Holy Spirit would have to abandon us discard us as a part of his holy temple fourth God would have to withdraw his Holy Spirit from us, thus violating the guarantee and breaking the seal that he had promised. So see, as fickle as we humans might be, do you really want to project that same fickleness upon God? He would have to violate his guarantee in order to have us lose our salvation. I've only covered these aspects associated with regeneration, What happens at regeneration? But earlier we talked about adoption, justification. Those would have to be undone too. We are booted out of God's house. We are no longer one of his adopted children. We're unwelcome in his house. He's cast us back out to Satan's kingdom. Now the fourth question is, what about God's promises? Now I could have made the whole sermon about this because there are innumerable texts that show this, but I, want to, I wanted to speak about all these things, all these changes that occur in us because we are regenerated. To believe in loss of salvation, we would have to call God a liar concerning these texts and all like it. John 5:24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He goes on to say, Nor will they snatch them out of my Father's hand. First Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, and I consolidated the first verse down. God has begotten us again to a living hope to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Have you ever showed up in a hotel and had your reservation fail you? You know you had a reservation, but they don't know you had a reservation, and you don't have a room for the night, and it's like midnight, and you're sleepy, and you desperately want to stop driving, but they don't have a bed for you. This is what loss of salvation means to those. It means that that reservation that God had made for us in heaven, He is not honoring. The last question concern, concerns, what people are most concerned about regarding this loss of salvation. There are three texts. When you go to various sites, they'll give you a lot more. I don't think that most of them have even enough merit to warrant me addressing them. But there are these three. And these three, the way they're worded, uh, do cause people consternation. Hebrews chapter 6. This is starting at verse 4. It's much more revealing than just these three verses. But these three verses do kind of cause us concern, and yet I believe the parable of the seeds that Jesus told covers this scenario perfectly. Remember the parable. Jesus tells about the gospel, the seed going out. Some of it falls on hard ground. The birds eat it up right away. There's absolutely no interest on the part of the people that have heard it in changing. Two, it falls in shallow soil springs up, people are excited, but boom, you know, the sun comes out, kills it. And these are the people that kind of flourish for a very brief time. I remember being around some people like that years ago when I first became a Christian because it seemed like there were several of us coming to Christ at the time. But one fellow, within 10 days, he was a dead plant lying on the ground. He, he was not uh, truly regenerated. The other is that it gets into the, the thorny patch And so now it's in this thorny patch. And over time, the sins of the world, the temptations of the flesh, wear this person down. So see, in this chapter, though, in Hebrews 6, the whole chapter is about apostasy. The whole thing is about people turning away from the faith. And I believe it has to do with this parable of the seed being without depth. It comes and goes. I asked Phil earlier because my take on Simon the sorcerer from Acts 8 is that he was one of these. He flourished immediately, but then he makes this statement, here's money, can I buy the power to apply the Holy Spirit at my will by laying on my hands? Peter denounces him, Simon asks Peter to pray for him, but he doesn't. So I believe that this is indicating, and church fathers have indicated, that that this Simon the sorcerer was not truly saved. He just popped up and then died. Let me give you the second text. This is Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. And this whole thing, when you read it, you can see the intellectual ascent, for instance. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. This is intellectual ascent. You're going along for the ride. They've tasted the heavenly gift, tasted the good word of God of the powers of the age to come. So see, they are around the miraculous. It was a miraculous time what was happening in the foundation years of the church. And they wanted to be a part of it, but they were not regenerate. And so here they are falling away left and right. It speaks of becoming partakers of the Holy Spirit and crucifying Christ again. These are probably the two concepts that give people the most grief. But to be partakers of the Holy Spirit, you need only be amongst God's people. You are partaking of the blessings of the Holy Spirit by being in church. And the crucifixion of Christ again was only theoretically posited. They crucify again for themselves the Son of God. In other words, it's impossible. So all that's describing is a, is a rather colorful way of saying this can't happen. So that's the first one, Hebrews 6. The second one is in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, and I'll read it. For if after they escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. This is where the uh, thorns and, and things are choking out the good seed We have, I believe, two clear examples in Scripture of this happening. Demas, he was a helper of of, uh, Paul's. Paul commends him in greetings in both Colossians and Philemon. And yet in 2 Timothy, most likely the last book that Paul wrote, he said, Demas has forsaken me. He loved this world, and he has gone to Thessalonica. So he was basically returning to a life of sin. He was abandoning the church. This also, if you read the entire Second uh, Peter chapter 2, you see that the entire chapter is a warning about false teachers in the church and to avoid them, to basically take heed. You have, to, you have to be careful of who you're listening to, who you're heeding. The third one is Hebrews 10. Oh, and let me run through the text again too here. For if after they have escaped, so they've escaped the pollutions of the world, which meaning they're, they're, they've abandoned their former lifestyle. They're not living like they used to live. They're in the church. They're, liberate, they're living morally upright lives. They escape through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But they are again entangled and overcome by them. They have known the way of righteousness. They have just abandoned and returned. The other example, obviously, is Judas. Almost these same words are used by Jesus in describing Judas. Woe to you. You know It would be good for you to have never been born than to betray me as you're about to do. That's what he told him. The last one is Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. This one is interesting. I don't think you need to read the whole uh, chapter to understand this one. Let's read it in context. That was at Hebrews 10, verse 26. Let me start reading at verse uh, 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So what he is saying is what I said, I think last week or the week before in the recap. Jesus is the Savior of the entire world. Not all people will be saved, nor did he die for all people, but he is the only Savior available to the lost in this world. And so if you're abandoning christ Church you 're abandoning the only path to salvation and reconciliation with God. Now, all of any text you might find, these three as well as all others, are really made perfectly clear in the first letter of John. Now, the first letter of John is a difficult book. I, I did a communion meditation series on it forever ago. But it is a difficult book, lots of repetition of words and phrases. It's a beautiful book, but you have to really be thinking the entire time you're reading the book of 1 John. This is 1 John 2, verses 18 and 19. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So John is describing teachers that have risen up in their ranks, charismatic men who have now led people astray. They were never, never regenerate. They never knew the Lord. They were never saved. And here now they are wreaking havoc in the church. This is also what Jude warned against. So we come to our final text, and I hope you've noticed that I have not even referenced Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. Um, Obviously, this is a topical sermon. It wasn't just exegeting that one text that we read at the beginning. I do want to cover however the text that I introduced right after the reading and that was Philippians 1 6 he who has begun a good work in you will complete it he who has begun a good work in you so the question is has that good work begun in your heart are you saved if you are saved you will be safe you will be brought to glory with God You are now in Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. But that's the question. Are you? God does not adjust his sovereign choice of who will enter his heaven based on man's fickle wills or faithless actions. The Son will not alter for whom he died. Based on those same things, the Holy Spirit will not alter whom he regenerates based on those same things unlike we men and women of earth God finishes everything he starts and he doesn't start anything unless he's going to finish it I want you to look now at your handout if you can that Romans text this could have been the text for all five messages perhaps except the enslaved I have gray text here highlighted called Enslaved by Satan, but it's not the person that is in mind. It's this old world that's trying to affect us. We that have been chosen, saved, regenerated, and preserved. So the gray isn't exactly us in a pre-saved state, pre-regenerate state. It's the world trying to drag us back into that morass. But let's highlight a few of what uh, things we see here. First, of course, Romans 8.28, one of the most beautiful of all scriptures and perhaps the most abused and misused. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. The elect will be conformed to the image of His Son. God freely gives us all things essential for our salvation. Jesus makes intercession for us at the right hand of God before Satan's accusations. And nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And let's read that last paragraph. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Once saved, always saved. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are reliable and dependable. Lord, your scripture proclaims so boldly and so repeatedly that your children your regenerate, have had an incredible transformation occur to them, that it will not, never be undone. Our eyes deceive us, Lord, but let all men be liars, because you, Father, are truthful. You cannot tell a lie. We revel in this reality, and we thank you, Father, and ask you to comfort all those who doubt their salvation, who are truly saved. And yet we do pray that you would cause doubts in the minds of those who truly don't know you and rest in a false comfort. We ask you now to glorify yourself through whatever we might do in the week ahead that we would serve you and please you by all that we do and say and think. In Christ's name we pray, amen.